Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Orstano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. Our assumption is, of course, that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be... Spoilers. And there is also merch. Oh, that's right. So we've got merchandise. We've got a website here designed by Eleanor Carez, who is at Eleanor Carez on Instagram. But our website is www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. Once again, that's www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. We've got all kinds of merchandise on there. Please go check it out. Some great stuff. And we still want to answer your fan questions. So email us what you want to know at cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com. Today, we're here, guys. We've made it. Season two, episode one, (laughs) Last Days of Summer, written by Jason Kadams and directed by Jeffrey Reiner. Our synopsis from NBC Television reads, the Dylan Panthers look to continue their success without Coach Taylor, who has begun his new job at TMU, which is where he is when Tammy goes into labor and some other things happen. There are some other things that may or may not happen in this episode. There may or not be a, I don't know, murder. Murder! But I, for one, cannot wait to kick off season two. But before we get into the highlights, we have a few fan questions. So let's get to those first. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our first fan question comes from David Nelson, who asks, what was it like working with Chris Mulkey? Chris Mulkey, by the way, plays Coach Bill McGregor on the show. I never got to work with him. Unfortunately, I got to see him on set numerous times, and he was a really nice guy, lovely guy. But I personally never had any scenes with him. And I I don't think, Stacey, you didn't have any scenes with him. I never even met him. Oh, really? But he's one of those faces that you look at, you're like, oh, I know, I know that guy. I desperately want to come up with an app that's like Shazam, but it's Shazam for actors and you can like just take their picture and then it'll pull up their IMDb page. But I did pull up his IMDb page and that dude has 266 credits to his name, which is an ungodly amount of work. He's in everything. Yeah, that's absurd. I mean, it's a lot of credits. (sighs) It's one of those things too, because I mean, Chris is one of those guys that every time I see him in something, there's an immediate connection just because of his experience on Friday Night Lights. But I, I kind of have that with everyone that worked on the show, just in the sense that like I get excited. I'm like, oh, there's so-and-so. We also have another question here. It says, did you or any other castmates ever feel in competition toward any other teen dramas 
that were on at the time, specifically shows like One Tree Hill, The O.C., Veronica Mars, and Gilmore Girls. Did you, Stacey, mm-hmm. feel any competition toward any of those dramas? I don't think I've ever looked as Friday Night Lights as a teen drama. I have had other people say that to me and call it that. And it always hits, it hits my craw in a weird way that it's like, oh, is that what we are? I don't know how to define our show, but it's definitely a show about like heart and family and small town. But I don't think it's, it's definitely not soap, but it's not no. teen drama to me. I never really looked at it as like a teen drama, but I do remember being somewhat enviable of the numbers that they pulled in. I was never aware of that stuff before I started working on this show. But once I started working on it, I was like, so-and-so gets how many viewers? Like, that's crazy. Like, we didn't... So I became aware of it. I think I specifically became aware of it because Taylor Kitsch was really good friends with, and still is, with Chase Crawford. I have hung out with Chase a handful of times, and Chase was on Gossip Girl at the time. And Gossip Girl, I think it was CW or maybe WB. Yeah, whatever it was then. The point being, though, that for NBC, I think we were pulling like 6.5 million viewers a week which was not very good for NBC. But Gossip Girl was pulling like 6.5 million viewers for CW, and that was huge for the CW. So for CW, they were like, this is great for us. And they were still promoting the show, and they were constantly on like EW, and there were billboards all over LA. And I was like, we don't get that kind of treatment at all from NBC. Mm -hmm. But Chase and the Gossip Girl got that kind of treatment all the time. So I remember being like, I don't know if jealous is the right word, but like wishing that we had a little bit more of that support. Yeah. If we had that behind us, it'd be different. It also feels a little bit like apples and oranges to me. Like I was on Gilmore Girls. The two shows couldn't be more different to me stylistically in tone and even writing wise. There's nothing that I could compare in those two things. Look, I am the last guy on the planet who's rooting for anybody's show to do poorly. Like, I want every show to do well. Just even getting a show made is a feat in and of itself. It's very rare. (laughs) And we all look at it from a different perspective being in the business. It's like, this is people's livelihoods. These are people's jobs and how they provide for their families. So I'm not rooting for anybody's show not to be successful. I'm of the opinion that, like, hopefully there's enough room for all of us. I would hope so. Okay, listen, next question. Yes. Coming from a one Mr. Jeremy Gordon, friend of the pod and friend of ours. What's up, Jeremy? I know that guy. I know him. With nothing but respect, in all capitals, for the show and the writers, is there one storyline or one arc or one something for your character, big or small, that you consistently think back and wonder how would it have been if it had been told differently? I'm going to be honest with you. For me and Mindy... I wouldn't change one darn thing. I wish I was around more, especially in the earlier seasons, but that just feels like ego. I loved Mindy's arc. I love where she began and where she ended. Yeah, I mean, the only things that I would ever like change are like personal selfish things for me, not so much for the show. I mean, for the show, I think the show was like, as far as storylines were concerned, I'm like, I was pretty much happy with 99.9% of it. I mean, maybe the murder storyline, it wasn't specific to me. We're going to get into that in some more detail later on in this specific episode. But no, I mean, there were just things like, I wish I was cooler. I wish Billy was a cooler guy. I wish Billy was a cooler guy. I bet you do. You had to marry him. (laughs) I feel worse for you than... Do you want to know, honestly, the only thing I would change? I'm sure we'll talk about this when we get there, but I had to have emergency surgery while we were shooting. And so I went and had surgery on my uterus because it was great. But I was swollen and stitches and a giant bruise across my stomach. But two days after my surgery, we had to shoot a scene in the strip club and I had to wear 
that costume. I just like, I had to, it was written. Yeah. And I was like, I would do anything just to cover up my stomach right now. I wasn't allowed to do. I cried alone in my trailer and then got on set and they covered me up in makeup and I did my job. So Jeremy Gordon, that's the one thing I would change just that one costume that one day. I remember not wanting to do the haka when we had to do that scene with the haka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also like, I think that's something Billy would do. It's something people still talk about now though. Yeah. Like, they love it. But I remember we were shooting that scene and it was raining outside and Kyle Chandler came up to me in between takes and he goes, good on you. And I go, what? And he was like, you went for it. And I said, yeah, I said, you kind of have to. And he goes, oh, if you don't, you'll look like an idiot. And I was like, exactly. yeah. When you're playing a comedic character, I think sometimes those roles can be confused. You know, people think that just because you're a comedic character that you're a doofus in real life. Absolutely. It took me a really long time in casting and meeting with producers and casting directors for people to understand that I'm not Mindy, since that was yeah. the only thing they knew me from. It took me a while to break out of that mold. And I'm just like, I'm so not that. <laughs> yeah, I feel that same way. I mean, I definitely had auditions. I remember one in particular where there was a casting director talking about me while I was waiting in the, in the waiting room. And they were talking to my manager and they said, yeah, look, I, I love Derek, but he's always so frumpy looking. And I was like, but that's the character I play. That's right? not that's me. Part. I've also always said I would much rather be typecast than not cast. Bingo. So in answer to Jeremy's question, yes. Yes and no, and yes. <laughs> yes, I would change those <laughs> things selfishly for me, but I would not change them in the show at all. Nope. No, nothing. All right, we're on to our third question here, which actually is not really a question at all. But this comes from Colleen Cavanaugh, and she writes, so... And this is a long one. So <laughs> while I agree Tammy is always right, I have to say I think that she is wrong in the season one finale where she tells Coach to take the job at TMU. This might be an unpopular opinion, but as a mom of two little kids, one of them being four months old, I can't imagine telling my husband to pack up and go chase his dreams. LOL, she says. I mean, his job is also on weekends considering college football usually plays on Saturdays. So when the heck does Coach get to come home? So many questions here. Obviously, we know how it turns out, but yeah, I think she was finally wrong with this advice, even if she was being a supportive wife. So the question part of this is, mm -hmm. do you agree or disagree? I think, Colleen, I agree. I agree, I didn't Colleen. think about it until she posed this question, especially for coming from Colleen, this new mom with a new baby. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I think you're right. No, I think this may be the one time and maybe the whole entire show. We'll see. It's definitely the the first time that I think Tammy was wrong. I, I don't think that this turns out well. We'll dive into it a little bit deeper in this episode. But yeah, I mean, given the way things are kind of falling apart in the Taylor household right now, yeah, this decision was not the brightest. So what is that? That means Tammy's been right like 500 times before this. So now mm -hmm. it's 499 times right versus Billy, who's been right twice. Yeah, her RBI is still pretty good. Yeah. All right, guys, I think that's it for the fan question segment. We're going to jump into the rewatch portion in a minute, so stick around. Okay, here's the thing. I know it's on the tip of everyone's tongue. It's the thing that everyone thinks about when it comes to season two. And I know that season two is very controversial among FNL fans. It's controversial among us as cast and, and crew of this show. I've even heard people say, you can go ahead and skip season two. To that, I think you're nuts. But I do want to talk about the reasons why you shouldn't skip season two. And we're going to do that as we go through this episode and throughout the season. I'm going to annoy all of you by pointing out my favorite moments in each episode. I'm going to do that by screaming, that's why you don't skip season two! <sighs> 
you guys, welcome to my life. This is why I deal with. Can I just blow your eardrum, Stacey? No, actually, it wasn't that bad, but I am very used to it anyway. <laughs> You're used to me screaming nonstop. Yes, in my ear. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Okay, so we have that to look forward to, guys. Yes. So that's going to happen. <laughs> and you're not going to know when it's going to come. Hopefully, it happens while you're like, you know, jogging down the road. And all of a sudden, I scream in your ears and you have to run mm-hmm. into oncoming traffic. I hope that doesn't happen. I tend to listen to podcasts when I fall asleep because it sounds sometimes like somebody telling you a story. I also don't have a bedtime sleepy voice, so I don't think people fall asleep to our <laughs> podcast. Okay, going on. Yes. This episode just starts off with a bang. WWRD. What would Riggins do? The writer's room of parenthood, our sort of sister show, wore bracelets like the What Would Jesus Do bracelets. They had WWRD bracelets. And if they had like a question about where they were going in storyline, they'd be like, WWRD. I did not know that. That's awesome. By the way, guys, for those of you who don't know, Parenthood was also created by Jason Kadams and David Hudgens was a a writer Mm -hmm. on there and executive producer on there. And David Hudgens was on with us recently. So yeah, there was a lot of crossover with Parenthood. Uh, That's why if you were a fan of Parenthood, you probably noticed some very familiar faces from Friday Night Lights on there. I even got to do a couple episodes of Parenthood, which was fun. Meanwhile, that whole entire group of people over at Parenthood, the cast, huge fans of Friday Night Lights. Huge I felt like a superstar celebrity when I went in there. Dax Shepard was like, oh, dude, I love you. And Mae Whitman and all these other people. Mae Whitman, meanwhile, is maybe the biggest Taylor Kitsch fan I've ever met in my life. She is. I gave her one of the pictures that I stole from the Riggins house when we wrapped. I say stole. I took all of the framed pictures that were in our house. And I gave May for her birthday a framed one of Tim Riggins in his football uniform that she still has. You can use whatever verbiage you want to, Stacey, but you stole that photo. I did steal them. I mean, I told the <laughs> art department I was taking and they're like, yeah, please. They get, we don't we don't need that stuff and we're good out of here. And I did steal I them. I stole some stuff too. I mean, that's what actors do. That's our job at the end of a shoot to steal some stuff. We were talking about the WWRD, what would Riggins do moment, but I also love that Landry and Saracen call Tim the captain of the SS Tatas. Another one of my favorite lines on this show. But yeah, I mean, the show starts with a bang right off the bat. We've got this pool scene. And I know for a fact that this pool scene exists because some of the top dogs at NBC were trying to sex up the show a little bit. Even the promos for season two were trying to sell. FNL is more of like a soapy teen drama, sexy sultry like even the voiceover work was like friday night lights season two coming to nbc i mean that's good did you like that i did so yeah i mean they immediately wanted to get the gals in bikinis get the guys with the shirts off listen like good god our cast is good looking that whole first scene at the pool and i was like come on it's a little ridiculous there's some good looking people on this show. I'm not going to lie. So I mean. One of my close buddies, Chris Price, who was my roommate in college, like he came to visit the first season of the show and he walked on set and he goes, Derek. And I go, yeah. And he goes, you're not a bad looking guy. And I go, well, thank you, man. And he goes, but you are the ugliest guy on this show. <laughs> and they're like, and rolling. And I'm like, thanks. I got to go walk into a scene with that. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I mean, but we're using it to our credit there. That whole pool scene was like, welcome to season two of this. I have to tell you, I was a lifeguard for five years. And if I was Julie's supervisor, she'd be fired. She better keep her eyes on that pool. She's like, I am the Swede. She's having a fight with her mom and all those kids are floating in the pool. No boy, no man. You say floating like they're floating face down while this scene is happening. Maybe they were. She wasn't watching them. Maybe they were. Stacey, on a serious note, as a lifeguard, did you ever save any lives? I did. Did you really? I was joking around when I asked that question. I, didn't I did. Know. So I worked at Six Flags Hurricane Harbor, deep water lifeguard, and a friend of mine pulled a guy out who had gone unconscious and he was in the bottom of the pool. So 
he pulled him out and then I got called over and I was on the bag, which is like the airbag because we aren't allowed to actually put your mouth on another person to do mouth to mouth, which by the way, isn't a thing that you do anymore in CPR. So I was on bag and they were on chest compressions and we, we saved a man. I also did a Heimlich on another guy that was choking on water. Like I think about, it was first of all, my favorite job I've ever had because it was just stupid fun, but like the most serious job I've ever had. I've never yeah. been given that kind of responsibility. And I was 16. You don't have to tell me about it. I, I played a paramedic on As the World Turns. Oh, so you get it. You completely understand. Yes. I know what we, you know, go through. And that heavy, heavy training you do to play a paramedic on As the World Turns. Why is that funny to you? <laughs> CPR first aid certified. I know they just, they take it really seriously over there for their under fives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. I was an under five. Under five, for those of you who don't know, means I had under five lines. And they are specific <laughs> about that. If you try to throw in a six line, they'll be like, ah. No, that's too much money. That's a whole different pay scale. So you're saying that that was the most serious job that you've ever had? My paramedic job? I took it very yeah. seriously. Yes. Good. I'm glad. Your yeah. mustache is also telling me the same thing right now. You guys, Derek's rocking a killer stash. I want you all to see Thank it. You. Okay. Again, with a bang. Hello, Gracie Bell. Mm-hmm. We have a new baby on the show. They don't waste any time. No, they don't waste any time at all. Gracie Bell, by the way, for those of you who don't know, Gracie Bell was actually played by a set of triplets, which is actually pretty common in the film business. Film crews will always try to get twins or triplets or best case scenario, quadruplets. We had twins for our little bundle. We did. And the reason they do this is because, I mean, babies can get fussy. So if the kid's crying or or whatever else, they can just swap the kid out with another kid, basically. It sounds pretty awful. Swap the baby. Baby swap. We need a baby swap on aisle two. I do have to tell you one of the triplets when they're older, there was one specific triplet that just really did not like Kyle. Kyle's very, very good with children. And he would take her in between scenes and like show her all the camera stuff and the boom mic. And she was just like, whatever. I don't care. I didn't know this. Kyle tried so hard and he just could not win her over and it was delightful to watch. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we had our fair share of trials and tribulations with our own little hellion. Did not like me. They loved Taylor Kitsch, but they did not like me. I feel like they liked me, but you know, there were times where they cried. They liked you better than me. I definitely remember having very adult conversations with our children on the show and being like, hey man, look, this Mm -hmm. is an important scene. I know that you're not getting all the things you want on this show, Mm -hmm. but let's just try and, you know, pull it together. Like, listen, baby, we're going to make our day. Also, Coach coming in, he's wearing maroon polo and a maroon hat and just everything about it felt so wrong and so disjointed. It's like, good on them. It it worked. It made me feel very uncomfortable. I'm with you, Stace. I have to agree with you. The maroon, I don't like it. I just sat there and I Mm -hmm. I said, Derek doesn't like it. I don't like. No. Okay, so Tammy is, I guess, trying to tell Coach what's going on in the life since he's been gone. And she says she's dating Saracen, but flirting with the Swede. This guy, is he Swedish? He doesn't sound Swedish. Why is he called the Swede? He's very cute and it like works for turning Julie's eye. I get it. But like, what? why the Swede? I've never understood the Swede thing either. I'm not sure. Maybe it was like, you know, like in Robin Hood where they call Little John, Little John or, or something. Yes, but that's ironic. The Swede is black hair and he has, there's nothing Swedish about him. Maybe that's why they call and him And he sounds Swede. very Texan. I fully yeah. don't understand it. You will find out this episode, I have a bajillion questions, but I also think that was part of the glory of the show. That's like, there's an eight month break. And guess what? You don't really get to know what happens in those eight months. We're picking up now and get along on the ride. So I'm trying to get along on the ride. This is what I'm doing. I'm here. <laughs> By the way, for those of you at home, the guy who played the suite, his name is actually Alejandro Rose Garcia. It's very handsome. 
yeah, good looking dude. Maybe that was the point is that there's nothing Swedish about him. We should have asked David Hudgens when we had him on the show. We'll have to ask the next writer. Next writer we have on the show, we're going to have to ask him, why the Swede? What's that going to do, Swede? But, and this has absolutely nothing to do with the Swede, but we're coming up on one of my favorite moments in this episode. And I don't know why, I, it just tickles me. I was actually on set this day when they were shooting this, and I still can't remember why, but I remember being in the parking lot and Taylor and I just laughing hysterically during this scene. This scene is when Lila is in the parking lot of the grocery store and she says to Tim, you know, yesterday I was baptized and accepted. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. What do you do recently, Tim? Tim is drinking a beer and he goes, I had a three-way with the Stratton sisters. And it just cracks me up. And this is one of those moments where I'm going to say, and that's why you don't skip season two. There it is, guys. Wake up. It's that I hope you weren't sleeping because that's why you don't skip season two. It was such a perfect timing of the crack of the beer and then the one-liner. It was. It's just kitsch gold. <laughs> it really was. It just cracks me up. There were a lot of times with Taylor and I that just losing it entirely on set. I think maybe what cracks me up so much about it is just that that whole entire summer, Taylor and I hung out with each other, like after the first season of the show. I moved back to LA. I didn't really know anybody. Taylor was like one of the only people I knew. And so he and I were hanging out all the time. And so we just had this like kind of automatic kinship with each other. Not that this has anything to do with that scene, but it just reminds me of that summer. And that summer was such a fun time because it was the first time in my life that I ever had any money at all. I mean, mm -hmm. I was broke. We were poor growing up. I was poor all through college. I had multiple jobs. I never had any money. I was always having to borrow money from friends to like put gas in my car and have dinner. And so for the first time in my life, I got a little coin in my pocket. Taylor was the same way. I mean, Taylor grew up next to nothing. His family, they lived in a trailer park and Taylor was homeless. We discussed this when we had Taylor yeah. on, that Taylor was homeless when he was living in New York. And so for both of us, we had a little money at this point. It just reminds me of like the car that Taylor drove in the first season was just a total beater piece of junk. And so in that summer, one day I had borrowed a jacket from Taylor or something like that. And he was coming to pick it up. And so he's like, Hey man, I'm coming by your apartment. Come outside. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And I'm outside and my phone's ringing and he's like, dude, I'm outside. Where are you? And I'm like, I'm right outside my apartment. Where are you? And he's like, I'm right in front of you. And I'm like, where? Because I wasn't expecting him to be in a nice car. And all of a sudden this blacked out Cadillac coupe, awesome rims and everything. Like the window oh. comes down and Taylor's sitting in there and he goes, what's up? And I go, what is that? When did you get that? That's a money move though. I like yeah. that. Cadillac had given him a car for the summer when he was in LA just to tool around in basically. Thanks Cadillac. And we definitely, I mean, I just remember driving down the road in that Cadillac and us jamming to Red Hot Chili Peppers, Californication. It just come out like Snow, that song Snow. Mm -hmm. This has nothing to do with anything, but just two guys basically for the first time in their lives having some money in their pocket and it being fun. That's the big difference. I think you notice that when you work on a TV show, the first season, everyone's driving around in the crappiest cars on the planet. Second season, everyone kind of upgrades a little bit. A little bit. I feel like the only person that didn't upgrade on our show was maybe Zach Gilfin. I feel like he drove that Subaru Outback all through all five seasons. I think he did. Oh God, you guys wait until we get to Michael B. We have stories about his car too. So yeah. stick with us till season five. It'll be Friday Night Lights, a car show. By the way, looking very svelte, very yummy season two. He's got that gorgeous hair and a little five o'clock shadow and just looking very, very handsome. Sees Maddie at the grocery store and says this. Don't just stand by and watch it happen. 
And that like hit me in my gut in a way that I actually rerounded and heard it again. And I think it might become my new like life motto. Yeah. And that's why he's coach and we're not. I am not. Here's something I didn't like about this scene. Uh-oh. Kyle Chandler's hair looks so good. God, he looks good. That's another thing you'll notice second season of a show is that everybody comes back and everybody's more tan and everybody looks better. Some people may have gotten their teeth fixed. Some people may have gotten, you like know. Like me. Did you get your teeth fixed after the I first did. season? After a third season. Okay. I didn't start making money till third season. <laughs> Took me a while. I've got new choppers too, Stacey. I look like I ate a bag of chiclets and they all stuck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, especially when you're new to television, like most of us were, it's like you spend the first season of the show going, is that what I look like? Oh God, I need to do something with my hair. And you, yeah, all those insecurities come yeah. out. And by the time the second season rolls around, you've got new hairstyles. You've got more tan skin. You've lost five pounds. Maybe just a little more muscle tone than you Maybe did Maybe a little before. more muscle. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But by the time the fourth season rolls around, everyone's gaining weight and looking like crap again. I was pregnant, so I didn't worry about it. Also, it's happening now, like after this like pandemic and lockdown, and now all of our auditions are on self-tape and we have to edit our own tapes, that it's happening to a bunch of people I know now where we're just staring at ourselves and being like, need to fix this, need to fix this. I hate this, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's a lot of looking at myself, which I don't (laughs) enjoy. Moving on. It's a whole thing. Julie, gosh, she's just so the quintessential teenager and Amy's so good at it. But the older, more mature me just wants to shake her and be like, no, you stay there and you spend time with your dad. You're going to miss this later. I I get where you're coming from, Stacey, 100%. But in defense of Julie a little bit, I think the reason she's acting this way is because of the fact that she feels like her dad abandoned her. So I I get it. I think that's why some of this stuff is happening with Swede. I'm not condoning it, but I know what it's like to be a 15-year-old kid and be a little bit bratty. Thought I was. I get it. This, again, just the older me being like, come on, man. Okay, who does this new coach think that he is talking to our players in that tone of voice? Also, I feel like we're just watching Coach McGill get tossed over again. He didn't get the head coaching job. This new guy, he's mean. Well, Stacey, he's mean, but they don't call him the Tennessee tyrant for nothing. I didn't know that they called him that. Yeah, it's what Slam and Sammy Mead says about him. He is the Tennessee tyrant. And so, yes, I think it's safe to say he's probably from Tennessee. Or? Uh-huh. Actually, yeah, he could be from anywhere. The Swede. <laughs> who knows with our show? <laughs> the Tennessee tyrant from Washington State. Exactly. Yeah, who knows? But yeah, this new guy definitely doesn't have the same demeanor as Coach Taylor. It's just FNL writers sprinkling some of that FNL fairy dust that they do saying, watch out. And thank God giving us the gold that is the scene of Taylor Kitsch throwing up on the bleachers. <laughs> thank you so much for that. Listen, this storyline. I just was screaming, Tyra, girl, you are in danger. This guy that did assault her before has not become a full-blown stalker. She is a teenage girl. This is truly terrifying. I don't like watching these scenes and not just because I know where it's going to go, but I also, I don't like watching them because I don't like seeing bad stuff happen to Annie. It's too hard. But yeah, moving on. So again, these eight months that we didn't get to see all of the people that we love. And I'm just like, what happened with Julie and Matt? They're so awkward and stilted and they never touch. And it's so weird. I'm thinking maybe it's like, they call it the seven-year itch. I'm thinking maybe that's what it is. I think she's met the person she knows she's probably going to marry. And I think that that can be a little daunting for a person that's 15 or 16 years old. But there's this whole entire other life 
and this whole entire other world that I also want to try and see. I think there is, a, to a certain degree, a need in all of us to try and, you know, sow some wild oats. I'm not condoning it, but I, I think that maybe that's what's going on with her. I know a couple that was married, high school sweethearts. They'd only been with each other their whole entire lives. They were married for like 12 years, had two kids. And like 12 years into their marriage, it wasn't working out. They got divorced. They both wound up dating other people for like a year. And then like a year after that, broke up with their significant exes and got back together with each other and are married and completely and totally happy now. But like, I do think there is something too. like, you got to dip your toe on the other side and see what's out there. I agree to maybe make you appreciate what it is that you have. How can you fully appreciate it if you don't see what else is out there? I get where Julie's head is at. And she does say that thing about, I'm so scared of becoming you and mom to coach. And like, that's kind of what her life is looking for. Julie needs to see the world. She needs to go visit the Louvre and do fancy things. She's an old soul that needs to see some things. She just wants to go to Sweden. Maybe that, yeah, she wants to take the Sweden, go to Sweden. I don't know. (laughs) Taylor Nichols is in our show. I had completely forgotten. So he is Pam's new boyfriend. I guess he owns a health food store. I remember seeing him on set the first time and completely geeking out because I love the movie Barcelona. And I watched this episode two nights ago and then I went down a complete rabbit hole and I started watching all the Whit Stillman movies, Barcelona and Metropolitan. And it just sent me on a very nice little tangent after my watch of this episode. That's one of the things I love about what we get to do. We're all fans of film and television as well. Well, there are actors that I have loved since I was a kid and to have an opportunity to work with these people, like it doesn't get much better than that. So I love that aspect of things. I've always said, if I ever wake up one day and I'm on set and I'm not excited by that, then maybe I need to find a new business. I was a big fan of the musical Rent when it came out. I was a theater major in college. And so it was the first Broadway play I saw. And I had like a talkback session with some of the actors after the show. And it was a really cool moment for me. And it was just a very iconic moment in my life. And I remember like years later, I had got a job on that show, Private Practice, which was actually cast by Linda Lowy, mm-hmm. who's the casting director on Friday Night Lights. And it's the only reason I got the job was through Linda Lowy. And I go to set and my scene is with Tay Diggs and Tay was in Rent. And so I'm about to start reading in the scene. The director says, this is Derek Phillips. He's playing so-and-so. We start reading through the scene and about midway through the scene, Tay Diggs stopped me and he goes, dude, you're Billy Riggins. And I was like, I'm Billy. You're Tay Diggs. What are you talking about? I'm Billy Riggins. And so I got to like totally fanboy out in that moment. And he was doing the same. And it was like, I couldn't believe that Tay Diggs even knew who I was. I thought it was so cool. That's very cool. I'm saying it, Stace. If I ever get to a point in my life where I'm not feeling that way when I'm on mm-hmm. set, I'm the annoying kid who's like, oh, look at my props. Look at my costume. And I want to go to see the set. And I want to walk around the stage and see all the different rooms that they've built and houses that they've made on these sound stages. That's the fun part of our business. There's a lot of fun parts of our business, but that's one of the big fun parts of it. Also, just speaking of like ridiculously good looking people, we're going to throw Tay Diggs into that mess. Good God, he's attractive. He's a very handsome fella, but just for you ladies out there, he's also my height. He's five foot eight. Yes. You feel better about that now? You're good? I do. I do feel much better about that. (laughs) (laughs) I got to tell you, I love this storyline. The baptism scene was beautiful. I don't love this pious side of Lila. Like, it's a funny scene, but her in that grace for dinner, slamming the new boyfriend and then Pam in skinny jeans. And it's like, oh, ouch. I hear where you're coming from. I personally, I love that scene because I love Lila in it. But no, I don't. I would not want to be around that Lila in real life. I think it's pretty epic that you're going to get a dig in on your mom's new boyfriend while you're in the middle of a prayer. You got to love that aspect of Lila. Lila's got some (laughs) things to say, man. She's not shy. I love an awkward family dinner scene because we all have those. This awkward dinner scene brought to you by Minka Kelly. 
hold up, hold up. What's happening? Has Buddy been living in his office this entire time? Because Coach A and Pam seem to know exactly where he's going to be at nighttime. I think I have an answer to that. We know in the second episode, because we established it, that Buddy actually does have an apartment. He's moved out, but he does have an apartment. I think what it is, Stacey, is that that apartment doesn't feel like home. And maybe Buddy Garrity Motors does. Or maybe it's this, you know, that idea that he doesn't have a place to go to. So he's comfortable in his office. He's got his antlers and his booze. So many antlers. His trophies, too. That office is very Buddy. So if he wants to sleep on the couch, they can sleep on couch. I mean, he owns the place, right? It's not like he's squatting. No, his whole entire world is blown apart. I mean, literally. There was also something about the fact that Coach is only home for this couple of times, but he's looking for some advice and he's going to go to who we are now seeing as his actual friend. He's going to go talk to Buddy. And I was like, that's a nice twist. It's usually the other way around. Yeah, I love how that relationship's grown over the course of a season. They're buddy buddies. At each other's throats in the first half of the first season, and now it's, they're buddies. Real friends. Yeah. As much as I say about Julie and the quintessential teenager, I also was a terror, especially to my mother, but why isn't Julie wearing shoes? Put your shoes on. It's just, I'm praying every bone in my body that she has shoes on when she goes into that dive bar. Like, maybe she's just being mean to dad. I don't know. There seems to be a lot of hippie stuff going on in Dylan these days. We got black-haired Swedes, shoeless Julies, health food stores, tofu, tree huggers. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. This isn't my Dylan. Shoeless Julie. Like, she's shoeless Joe Jackson. She's shoeless Julie now. I love it. Sidebar. I love fried green tomatoes. The movie, not the food. We're talking about this because Tyra and Landry are watching fried green tomatoes, right? Is that what's going mm-hmm. on? On the couch, yeah. Okay, Stacy, look, who doesn't love Ninny and Iggy Thurgood? Threadgood, is that their names? Oh, I love that you even know it. They're an absolute delight, Stacy. Everyone loves Legends. it. But this is this is Friday Night Lights, and this is a Friday Night Light podcast. So stay on track. But here's the thing that I love. Landry is making moves on Tyra on the couch right now, and it is so awkward, and I love every second of it. It reminds me of my first date after the pandemic. Can we touch? Can I hug you? Am I allowed to kiss you? Can I try? I don't know. I felt like a 12-year-old again, but I love it. I love watching this scene. It's one of the things that Jason Kadams and our writers do so well, is just write these awkward teenage moments that all of us have experienced. I think there's like a leg brush, and he apologizes profusely. It's like everything is so, it's so sweet. Uh, It's sweet and awkward and brilliant. I love it. He starts rubbing on her arm. I don't even think he has the testicular fortitude to go for a leg. Tyra does seem so... It's not even like she's rebuffing. I think she has no clue what's happening. She's like, are you hungry? Let's go eat some food. It's played so well by both of them. She has no clue that he's he's making a pass at her. Okay, here's... One thing I'm going to boast about our show. I think one thing Friday Night Lights does better than any other show is a good old fashioned daddy daughter scene. This is true. And this is another one of those examples. We talk about this a lot on the show of just execution on all fronts from all forms of this medium that we call film and television. It's a beautiful little scene with Julie. It's written beautifully by Jason Kadams, shot brilliantly, and just really wonderfully acted by Kyle and Amy. I mean, Amy really kind of knocked my socks off in this scene. This is my favorite Amy moment so far. It's really touching. We're going to talk a lot, and we already have talked a lot about 
Julie's behavior on this show, but we do forget that she's a kid, man. All those emotions that she has, and she starts crying in that scene, and Kyle puts his hand on her head. And the way Ugh. he goes from rage, anger at the beginning to mean like, oh no, my daughter actually needs me right now. That can wait. Right now, I'm here to take care of her. She's going through something, and it's just like, oh, our show. Sometimes I love our show so much, it chokes <laughs> me up a little bit. But speaking of, <sighs> we're here. We've made we're it. We're here. We're at the moment. We're at the moment that everyone's talked about, and we'll talk about thoughts. Okay, so here we are. Murder in the sleepy town of Dillon, Texas. We finally turned into a true crime podcast. <laughs> Not really, a fake crime podcast. Yeah. Here's my thoughts so far. Landry's a hero. He full on pulled out his phone and was calling his dad, who is a cop, definitely doing the right thing. And I'm right now calling plausible deniability. We never see them dump a body in the river. How do we know what happens? <laughs> it's funny because in rewatching it, I haven't watched this since it aired. I honestly don't have a problem with the fact that an actual murder happens. If, and I'm saying murder in quotes. Well, it's like manslaughter or self-defense. Yeah. Like, it was a little necess not necessary, but I get it. I don't think any jury on the planet is going to convict him of this. You know what I no. mean? My problem with this, and you know, I think honestly, when I go and look back at it, my problem with it from the very beginning was the cover-up aspect of it. I hated that. It just, it felt tonally off to me. It didn't feel right for the show. It felt like it was sensationalized and it kind of went against what I personally always loved about Friday Night Lights, which is how grounded the show was. Mm. I mean, yes, this is a town that is football obsessed and people are, are crazy and that leads to crazy situations. But at the heart of FNL, it was always about relationships. I don't mean this to be an attack on the writers because I think the writers are just, right. they do such a great job on this show. We wouldn't have this show without them. I mean, who am I to complain about something? But it's okay. Is it okay? to say that like maybe this was a swing and a miss maybe and the fact that it was on tyra like it was yeah. tyra's idea to do the cover-up as i say the cover-up is always worse than the crime mm, i didn't even think about that but yeah i know also that jason kadams and the rest of the writers have talked at length about this decision they've been adamant about the fact that this was their idea and that the network had nothing to do with pushing this storyline yeah jason had this thought in his head from season one just as an idea i have to be honest i didn't like it when it happened then and mm -hmm. frankly, I'm not a big fan of it now, nearly 15 years later. And all that being said, the whole objective to this storyline, if I'm not mistaken, from the writer's perspective was, how can we bring Landry and Tyra together? I will say that watching the two of them as actors tackle these scenes is really a true joy. They both knock it out of the park. So One good. of the things that I hate about this, though, and I'm going to stop harping on it, is that it made it really hard for me when Landry becomes a little bit more comedic in later episodes. It's like, yeah, but you killed that dude. It was always tough for me to go back to, to loving the Landry that we had in the first season after this happened. It's complicated. There's layers of it. Yeah. It wasn't as big as I remember it being. I just think because I hear so many people talk about it. It was shot well. It was written well. They are so good in it. But yeah, it happens. It's jarring. It definitely, our show changes a little bit from here well, on. But it kind of recovers it. Like it just kind of yeah. almost sweeps it under the rug and you go, okay, you know, that happened. We're going to move on. I know people in high school who punched a dude and broke a guy's jaw and like wound up having severe ramifications for this. You know, people who got in yeah. fights and, and severely uh, yeah, injured Yeah, people have gone to jail for like breaking bottles on people. I don't heads. have a problem with that story. I don't, as I said before, I don't even really have a problem with the fact that there was a guy who was killed in self-defense. Those things you. happen. My problem was really the fact that the whole cover-up thing just felt like, it felt forced. I think I'm with and you. And then I think on top of it, it's like the way that's handled going forward, it's almost like you made this bed and now you kind of have to lie. And it's like, okay, no, you killed someone. 
There's going to have to be a trial. There's going to have to be all this stuff. And it, it just kind of goes away. But as I said before, I still think there's a bunch of wonderful stuff in not only this episode, but in the second season in general. So yes, we still say watch season two. <laughs> Don't skip over it. Okay, just hit me in the face. All of a sudden, the ring ceremony was beautiful. I love that you, the guys on the field that were giving the rings to the players were people that had ringed themselves. So yeah. I love that you were on the field and you got to give it to Tim. But like, we just pan by and Landry's in a uniform. What did I miss? <laughs> well, in the beginning, when Slam and Sammy Mead comes on and he's like talking about Coach McGregor and him being the new coach at Dillon, they did like a montage of shots. And in those shots, Landry's in uniform. But, you know, Stace, I mean, it's kind of something that's kind of easy to miss. All these things that happened in the past eight months that we just never talk about, but you catch up with because you catch it in the end. And I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, so, oh, so he plays football now? There's okay. a scene where he's talking with Tyra and right when he's about to put suntan lotion on her back and mm -hmm. he's talking about football and she's still like, I don't know why you're doing this. God, I missed so much. I think sometimes when you're taking notes, maybe you've missed that stuff, but I don't know. Yeah, totally, <laughs> completely missed it. But like I said, I loved the ring ceremony and everybody holding those rings up in the air was such as like that sweeping beautiful FNL shot that we know and I get like little FNL goosebumps at the end of a story and it was a really sweet way to to end the episode and to begin the season but also I was like oh wait also we straight up killed a dude so things are weird yeah Guys, that is it. We made it. We're into season two that was season two episode one join us next time for episode two but until then clear eyes full hearts can't, can't lose, lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, ClearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, Cadence13.com, and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.